0: Well, I welcome all of you that watch faithfully online every week. Thank you for that. And welcome to the North Richmond Hills campus of our church. And I'm especially glad you're here this weekend because I'm starting a new series. I'm very excited about God's been stirring something in me that I hope will stir something in you. This series is titled even that one. And I announced it two weeks ago at our annual vision sermon Where I introduced you to the idea of plus 3K. We're thinking about the 3,000 people here in our area that we believe God wants to add to our church. And so you saw a figure that looked like this. There should be a card on the row in front of you. And I'd like all of you to find that card. If you don't like to fill out cards, you can fill out an app. Go to the Hills app. Go to sermons. You'll see an icon that looks just like this. Later in this service, I'm going to ask you to put on that card the name of your one. And you might think, what is that? I hear that all the time around here. Who's your one? I, I've seen people in the back say, this is my one. I don't get it. What are you talking about? Well, it grew out of a series I did three years ago called Who's Your One? And the idea is that each of us have that one person God has placed us in life to interact with, to bring them closer to Jesus. Just to remind you of the context out of which that language came, I want to show again the video we produced for that original series. So watch the screen, please. Stop me if you've heard this
1: one. You grow up, you graduate high school, you attend the best college you can get into, and a few years later, you graduate again. You marry the perfect girl and move into a small character-building apartment. Over the next couple of years, you add a house, a dog, and two-ish children. A perfect start to a picket fence life. Time begins to roll by, your kids grow up, you get involved at your church, just like you're supposed to do. And sure, you have opportunities to engage more with the outside world, but it's hard enough to balance your job, church, wife, and two-ish kids. Your life continues speeding along. Your children grow up and make you a grandfather. Eventually, you retire and start spending a little too much time in Florida. But it's okay to relax. After two generations, you've impacted the eight lives in your family. Finally, at the end of it all, the Lord calls you home. And it was a good life. Right? Work, family, church. Because whichever order you put them in, that's all there is, right? What would happen if we shook up that formula? Imagine if we went out of our way to engage with our world, coworkers, neighbors, old friends, and not just engage, disciple. Imagine if we took one year and discipled one person from our world, took a year and truly shared the message of love, salvation, and freedom in Christ to that one person. And what if inside that year, that person started to follow Jesus? But let's not stop there. What if the next year that person began to disciple someone else, and you did the same thing, and two more people came to know Christ? And what if you did this year after year, person after person, and each of them picked one person year after year, and each of them, and each of them? If this kept going for 30 years, that would mean that 1,073,741,824 people could hear the gospel. That's a little more than eight thing is, it's not a joke and it's not a gimmick. Most importantly, it's not impossible. It's one person boldly making a commitment to bringing one other person to Christ. And it all starts by asking the question,
0: who's your one? Okay, so I believe there are at least 3,000 ones already in our lives. And no one is going to reach all, but all of us can reach one. But you might be thinking, I don't have a one. Well, that's why I'm doing this series, because I think the problem for many of us is that we just don't see the one that God has already put in our lives. And so we're going to look at some stories from the life of Jesus, and he is going to help us see that Even that one matters because anyone can follow Jesus, even tax collectors. Look with me in Luke five. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat with drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, it's hard for us to fully enter into the radical nature of this story because I don't know a cultural equivalent for tax collector. Let me help you understand. In that time, in that land called Palestine, the people were ruled by an oppressive occupying army and empire called the Romans. The Romans did not rule by kindness. They ruled by fear. They sent soldiers into the lands they had conquered to keep order. Those soldiers had swords and they were told to use them. So imagine growing up in a land where on every street you see people who have orders to kill you if you get out of line. Now, How do you support a plan like this? You tax the people. You take money out of their pockets to pay for the soldiers that they don't want in the first place. Well, who are you going to get to get collect those taxes? You're going to get local people to do it. How are you going to do that? You're going to tell them this is how much we want and everything over the top that you get, you can keep. Imagine working with someone who is embezzling from your business and taking what he's stealing and sending it to support ISIS. How would you feel? Tax collectors weren't just viewed as dishonest. They were disloyal. They weren't just cheaters. They were traitors. And people hated them. Getting close to a tax collector was a terrible PR Move. So there's this young rabbi on the scene, and people are getting excited. They're talking. They're wondering, could he be the Messiah? Could he be the Prince of Israel? And they see him walking toward Levi, and they all know what's coming. He is gonna walk up to that man, stand in front of that booth, shake his finger, and say, How dare you? And instead, Jesus said, How are you? And then... Why don't you? Why don't you follow me? And then Jesus said, oh yeah, parties at your house. And people's jaws dropped because in that culture, the way you said you're my friend is you ate together. You didn't slap somebody on the back. You didn't shake their hand. When you had a meal with somebody, you were saying, I'm in your corner, I've got your back, I'm your real friend. And I want you to get this really important principle at the very start of this series. You ready? Jesus made followers because Jesus made friends. He didn't just forgive sinners. He friended sinners. And I'm not talking Facebook, friend. I'm talking real share life together, friend. Jesus made friends as a strategy for making disciples. And it made waves. And Jesus knew it. He knew people were talking about him and he knew the talk wasn't nice. A couple of chapters later, Jesus said, I know what they're saying. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and here's what people are saying. He's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, you know, that's half right, and that's half wrong. The first half is wrong. He wasn't a glutton and a drunkard. People just assume because of the people he was friends with that he must be like that. But the truth is Jesus was not like them, but he really did like them he really was a friend of tax collectors and sinners and the religious establishment could not understand that why do you eat with them is a question totally consistent with their theology because they believe you should hate anything god hates and god despises people like levi and good people should too And so, I want you to get this. We get insight into a critical aspect of the mission of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. He came to change our mind about God. He came to say, God is not like what you've been told. God does not hate the people you've been told he hates. God wants to be a friend to everyone. Even that one who has lived like his enemy. And if you've been told different, you've been told wrong. So several years ago. After I was through preaching in the Tarrant County Jail, two inmates came up to me and said, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, did you know there will not be any women in heaven? I said, I don't think I've ever read that in the Bible. Oh, yes, they opened up their Bible to Revelation chapter eight, verse one, which reads, and he opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I don't think that verse proves what they claimed. I really don't think they thought so either. But here's the point. Anytime you're reading the Bible so that you can take a certain segment of people and you can just write them out of God's story, write them out of God's mission and write them out of God's love. Then you have read the Bible wrong. Who can be invited to follow Jesus? Answer. Answer any one even that one that everyone else has dismissed has not missed the invitation list for the party that Jesus is throwing for his friends and we need to be sure we don't miss This. So let's learn three things from Jesus about making friends that are so important. Here's number one see patience, not problems. This is so important. Do you see people as problems, or do you see people with problems? let me tell you something about many people. They can be annoying and difficult. I know this because I can be annoying and difficult and you can too. So when you see someone who is annoying and difficult, do you see them as a problem or do you see a person that has a problem? Because when we see people that are hard to like, we almost immediately began to focus on how different they are from us than how alike. We really are. It's like the story of the couple. They're in bed three in the morning. It's a rainy night. There's a pounding on the front door. He goes downstairs and opens the door. And there's a guy soaking wet, reeks of alcohol. Says, can you give a fellow a push? And the man says, no, it's the middle of the night. Slams the door, goes back up and gets in bed. And his wife says, who was that? I don't know. Some guy probably drunk wanting to push. And she said, well, aren't you Something. Don't you remember several months ago when our car stalled and those two strangers got out in the rain and helped us? Shouldn't you do unto others? He said, you're right. So he throws on some clothes, goes downstairs, open door. It's still storming. He shouts, are you still out there? And here's a voice. Yeah. Do you still need a push? Yeah. Where are you? Over here on the swing set. So here's the point. We are so. Quick to just write people off as being so different when, in fact, if we knew their story. We would see them as a patient. And we would be more patient. Everyone's got a story. Levi had a story. Let me tell you, no Jewish boy aspired to become a tax collector. No little Jewish boy said, you know what, when I grow up, I want a job where I'm hated and cussed and spit at every day. That's what I want. So how did Levi wind up where no little boy wanted to be? Did his dad die when he was little? And he had to help support his mom and his brothers and sisters. Was he handicapped? And he couldn't get a job anywhere else. Did he have a sick child and he was desperate to do anything to make some extra money? See, I don't know how he got there. Here's what I know. Jesus looked at him and he saw a man that didn't want to stay there. He saw a man that didn't want to stay stuck. A man who didn't want to stay sick. Isn't that like you? You don't wake up in the morning and hope. You get sick. And if you get sick, you want to get better. And Jesus knew that. That's why he said, it's not the healthy people who need a doctor, but the sick. And I've not come to invite good people, but sinners to change their hearts and lives. Jesus came to help people who want to get better. It wasn't a problem. For Jesus to look at even that one and see something more than just a problem. Jesus saw kingdom potential in Levi that no one else even imagined. And remember, every day people mock and cuss and spit at Levi. And he would not come after Jesus. If Jesus had not first come after him. And that's the second principle Jesus teaches us. We must stay near, not far. One of the biggest mistakes religion often makes is to equate separation from sin with isolation from sinners. Does that make sense? We know that we are to be holy people and we should separate ourselves from sin. And so we conclude then the way to do that is to get as far away as we can from sinners. And I understand there's a tension here that takes cautious wisdom to navigate. If you struggle with alcohol abuse, you don't need to go to a bar after work to meet your friends. If you have a gambling addiction, you don't need to have supper at a casino. All of us who are parents know that as we raise our children, we keep them away from certain situations and temptations because they're too young and immature to handle it. So I get the tension. But listen to me. All of us that follow Jesus have been called to be missionaries. Jesus was a missionary. He left where he was to go to the place to help the people he needed to reach. What does a missionary do? Listen, a missionary enters a foreign culture to invite people in that culture to enter the kingdom of God. And that's our calling. Can you imagine a doctor saying, I don't want to go to a hospital Sick people are in hospitals. I could get a disease. That's where doctors belong. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's where I need you. Jesus said, it really is possible to be in the world, but not be of the world. As I was writing this sermon, I remembered a story that took place in seventh grade I hadn't thought about for years. So, mamas, let me tell you about boys. First, second, and third grade, they're cute as they can be. And then about fourth grade, they start to learn words that they don't say at home. And by the time they get to middle school, they can have a pretty profane and vulgar mouth. That's what happened to my friends. And I'm in the car one day with my dad. And my dad says, why aren't you going over to so-and-so's house anymore, playing with your buddies? I said, I don't like to hang out with them anymore, Dad. All they want to do is cuss. And I expected my father to turn and say, thou art a son in whom I am well pleased. Tonight your brother gets oatmeal, but you get steak, my beloved. And to my astonishment. My dad said, well, son, they use a lot of bad words where I work, too. But I think that maybe the people I work with and your friends at school need somebody around that can be a good friend that doesn't use those words. And it had never crossed my mind that being a Christian in that context means My friends need me more than ever. Look again at verse 29. Then Levi gave a big dinner for Jesus at his house. And many tax collectors and other people were eating there too. Notice the party was at Levi's house. Now, do you know how Jesus could have saved a lot of criticism? He could have said, Levi, I'll meet you at Chili's. Why do you have to go to his house? You know who's going to be there. And Jesus said, oh yeah, I know who's going to be there. It's a chance to make a lot more friends. You see, typically community precedes conversion. Typically people find out if you care before they care what you think. So I got a beautiful email this past week from a woman named Kelly. Kelly. Who knew this series was coming up. You see she was someone's one. She says. When I started high school. I'd only been to a church building twice in my life. My family was real messed up. And a friend took me to a retreat. And I heard this story about Jesus. And I wanted to hear more. And so people started picking me up. And an older lady at the church. She just started pouring into me. And teaching me the Bible. And I gave my heart to Jesus. But I love how. She writes as she reflects on those folks. They let the Holy Spirit work in them. And as a parent now, I see how it could have been so easy for those parents to keep their kids away from me. All they knew about me was that I didn't go to church and I was starting down a road of making bad choices. They didn't know my parents at all, but they knew my home life wasn't that great. That isn't who church going parents typically want their kids to be around. But because they took some risk, I was able to learn about the gospel and realize I wanted something different from my life. And from that, my younger sister also became a Christian. We both married fellow believers and we're raising our families in homes that want to follow Jesus. Because somebody stayed near instead of saying stay away. Now let me tell you. No matter what you do, you're going to get criticized. So you might as well get criticized for doing what Jesus got criticized for doing. Because Jesus thought any one was worth it. Even that one. And do you notice, and this is so great. He comes up to Levi. And he doesn't say, what got into you? When are you going to get your act together? No. Learn from Jesus. You say start, not stop. He didn't confront Levi with a lecture about his past. He approached him with an offer for his future. It was so simple, but don't miss the beauty of it. It says in verse 27, he just walked up to him and said, follow me. And realize he called the absolute worst version of Levi. He didn't say, Levi, I see potential, but you got some improvement to do. Now, I'm going to be back this way in about a month. And if I see some progress in your life, then maybe you and I can talk. Because the I am does as is. You know what I mean. You've been to a thrift store. You've seen a rack of clothes and it'll say as is. Now what does that mean? It means you know you're getting something flawed. The jeans are going to have a hole. The shirt's going to have a stain. I am does as is. All of us are flawed. All of us are sick. Trust me. You people are sick. And Jesus comes and says, follow me. And I'm about to lay something on you that's really important. Don't ever forget this. The Gospels are not full of stories of people changing and then following Jesus. They are full of stories of people starting to follow Jesus. And then changing. By the way, that's why I think we ought to re examine the criticism that sometimes is leveled against churches. Well, your church is just full of hypocrites. Of course it is. It's full of sinners. What better place for people to be who are sick than a hospital? It's full of people who got problems. But here's the thing you need to know. Granted, some of these people are sick and they're fine with it. They don't mind staying sick. But most of the people here are following Jesus. And they're getting better. They're getting better. CBS had a report about a prison in Canada a few years ago. Let me tell you, inmates are the most resourceful people in the world. Most of them had addictions to nicotine, so they were given this nicotine gum to help them break the addiction. They would take the resin from the gum, mix it with tea leaves, and they would make something they could smoke. The problem is their notebook paper burned too fast. They found what burned slower was papers from their Gideon Bibles they were given. So they were smoking their Bibles. <laughs> and so they interviewed this guy named Robert. He said, I smoked Matthew. <laughs> I smoked Mark. I smoked Luke. And then I read John and it said, God loves me. And I stopped smoking. That reminds me several years ago, a mother came up to me. I could tell she was irate. Here's the back story. We have two nights a week, some group that meets in our campus at North Richmond Hills who are battling substance addictions and they're trying to help each other get better. They're following Jesus. But that's why we have ashtrays outside our building, because they often come up and smoke a cigarette before they go into their meeting. So this mom approached me and said, I brought my child up to church the other night and there were a bunch of people outside smoking. I said, what were they smoking? She said, cigarettes. I said, praise God, they're making progress. (laughs) You don't change and follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. And you start changing. So, John Hubbard used to be the president of USC. USC. He was in Texas back when Tom Landry, coach of Cowboys, they met and Landry gave him a shirt said Dallas Cowboys. So he goes back to Southern California. He wears it playing golf one day and his young caddy said, are you a coach for the Cowboys? No, I'm kind of like a scout. And the young boy said, do you think I could play pro football? And Dr. Hubbard looked at him. He was a smaller young man. He said, son, I don't think you're big enough to play pro football. And it got to feeling kind of bad that he might have discouraged the young man. So when the round was over, he said, you know what? I want to give you this shirt, but I think it might be too big for you. And the boy smiled and said, don't worry, sir. I'll just wear it until it fits. Now, we call that in the Bible sanctification. You start following Jesus. You get baptized. His spirit comes to live in you. You're clothed with Christ and you just start to grow into the image of Jesus. Can I tell you a secret? You can't fix anybody. We don't fix anyone. But we can invite Everyone to follow Jesus because Jesus is the doctor and grace is the answer. And the Apostle Paul, who was once even that one, could later say, God's grace has made me what I am. And his grace to me was not wasted. And Levi would tell you the same thing. I started following Jesus. And grace changed me. You might know him by his other name. Matthew. Matthew the Apostle. Who wrote a book about following Jesus. And it has helped millions make the same decision. You see, grace is enough for any one. It really is. Even that one. So who's your one? He's been there all this time. Maybe you just haven't seen him yet. So remember that card I talked about? I'd like you to get it out or get your app out. And in a moment, we're going to collect these cards. And if you turn in a card, here's a promise I'm going to make you. Because my goal is to get 3,000 cards. I'm going to personally pray over every name that's turned in. And then I'm going to give the cards to elders and ministers, and they're going to pray. And all year long, we're going to pray for that name you put down. But don't put down a name if you won't do The three words on the front, if you won't pray, if you won't have a meal with that person, and if you won't invite them to church. I'm going to ask the servers to take their places. And when we put these cards in the plates, understand it's not so much that you're offering that name to Jesus, though you are, but you're offering yourself. You're saying, okay, God, I want to partner with you in helping this one find Jesus. So take just a moment. And if you want to pray about it for a couple of days, you can take your card home, bring it back next week, or fill out that app later in the week. We'll do this for a couple of weeks, and I believe we're going to collect 3000 names, three thousand ones that are going to be closer to Jesus before this year is over. And so could I ask the service to go ahead and start passing the trace? And I'm just going to pray over you while we collect these names. Now, sometimes, Lord, When we pray, we don't know what your will is. This is not one of those times. We know. We know it's your will that everyone come to repentance. We know it's your will that every single person meet Jesus. And we know it's your will that we partner with you in sharing good news with the world. So God, may your will be done. May every name. Soon be next to an open door. And may every person that turns in a car have eyes to see even that one. For Jesus' sake, amen. Like I said, if you want to take your card home, pray about it and bring it back next week, you do that. But right now I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. And if you're on a prayer team, would you take your place? Because here's the truth. Levi is in the house. I'm talking right now to somebody who needs to be encouraged. Who needs some prayer. Who's ready to get baptized. I'm talking right now to somebody who needs to just start following jesus and let me tell you his grace is enough for anyone please come